This podcast is for the strange and unusual. Welcome to Crackpot Cocktail Hour. So, Mr. Bond, what is it that brings you to my neighborhood? Hmm? Still working for MI6, or have you decided to join the 21st century? <laughs> I hear the new M is a wavy. I want you to do me a favor. He wants me to do him a favor. <laughs> My knee aches every single day. Twice as bad when it is cold. You have any idea how long the winter lasts in this country? Come on, Dimitri. But it depends. Silence! Uh, so that reminds me, you're still in the dark about <laughs> what this episode is. Yeah, so um, it's Lacey's turn to do an episode. And now I know the original concept she was pursuing. And then I heard midway through your uh, research, that kind of shifted and you were fighting it. But then you're like, nope, we're doing this. And you have given me very vague allusions to this. I don't even know what I'm drinking right now. So I need answers. All right. Um, so I did uh, definitely pivot a little bit. We originally intended to do an episode on how weather affects animals and humans. And as I researched, I became uh, laser focused on something more specific within that. So we're zooming in. We're like we're pivoting to like something that we're zooming into uh, as opposed to like something differently entirely. But I think it's still going to be like different. I resisted talking about it because it makes me feel somewhat vulnerable and for reasons I'll get into, it's not really easy for me to research or talk about. But as you say, I stopped resisting. I went down the rabbit hole. I'm taking you with me. <laughs> I have no choice in the matter. So what journey are you taking me on? So the cocktail's name will give, give you a clue about what direction my research took. You actually suggested for our original topic uh, that I do a dark and stormy. This one is a dark and sore knee. Oh, so is this how uh, weather affects your joint pain? Yeah, it's very much focused on that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's a James Bond movie, uh, Goldeneye, and uh, one of the characters in it is Valentin Tchaikovsky. Sure. And you find out that he has a limp and he walks with a limp because uh, Bond like shot him years ago. And there's a line in it. It's actually played by the guy who plays uh, Hagrid in the Harry Potter movies. So it's just like evil Russian gangster Hagrid. <laughs> He's like, my knee hurts every single day, twice as much when it's cold. Do you know how long winter lasts in Russia? <laughs> Yeah, and that's all I can think about. Uh, so it's the dark and stormy. It is, yeah. So it's a variation on a, on a dark and stormy. Uh, I added a Portuguese sour cherry liqueur called Ginginha. It's spelled G-I-N-J-I-N-H-A. So that gives it an additional kind of cherry flavor and also uh, an extra kick. And to reference the fact that my recent trip to Portugal is partially responsible for me wanting to research this like pain and weather mm -hmm. topic right now. Ginginha uh, is typically consumed as a shot with a sour cherry with a pit at the bottom of it. Uh, I did not include the pitted cherry, <laughs> although I do I have a that. bottle with them. Um, partly because I watched them pour that pour it out and get a cherry with each pour, and I don't know how to do that without spilling it all over my counter. So <laughs> we'll figure that out at some point. They've but you have mastered a, it in Portugal. You they have a maraschino cherry. <laughs> they, they started doing that actually in primary school. Yeah, so I'm just like very behind the learning curve when it comes to that. Uh, so it's using it as a mixer is kind of not like a typical thing to do. I've actually got like a two 
two minute like YouTube video that talks a little bit about it that I'll send the link to. That's, oh, that's like, cool. Kind of informative. I looked it up on the internet and you can buy it at Total Wine at some of the locations. So it's not just limited to availability in Portugal. Oh, yeah, there's a, a Total Wine that's not far from here. Yeah, that's where I usually go for like my cocktail stuff. Although this time I went to Safeway for the most of it and then uh, Portugal for the Shinjinia. <laughs> well, now you can just go to Total Wine with the rest of the UW campus when they're trying to get hammered on a Friday night or Tuesday night. They're fucked up down there. I do appreciate that they give out like samples. They do? Yeah, at least the I've one that I've- I've to Total Wine. Oh, well, you're missing out. So on the weekends, they'll have like booths set up throughout the different sections and you can like sample whatever they've got to like give you. Holy shit. Well, see, uh, Heath was a wine steward for a while. So like he was very like anti-Total Wine because he was like, you can just like come to my department and I'll tell you what to buy and it's awesome and I'll get to know you. And his mom and pop wine store that he worked at. You mean Yeah, it's kind of ironic that he's like, no, it should be my corporate-owned wine place. Like, he used to, like, well, he has very strong opinions about, like, the prices of wines places. Like, we will go places, and he'll open up the menu, and, like, he'll look down it, and he'll be like, bottle of for, like, I don't know, like, $50. We get that for, like, five bucks, and then we sell it at 12. And I'm just like, no one cares for you. (laughs) I do think wine is, like, way overpriced in the U.S. Like, drinking it in Portugal was like, oh, the markup on this. Like, it's often cheaper to buy a bottle than to buy, like, a couple of glasses. So, yes, like, it just made sense. From what I understand, a lot that come, a lot of American dining is very much backwards from how it is in Europe. For example, tipping, not actually paying our wait staff, and then expecting the people to take care of it uh i heard that you have to pay for refills in europe you were just there but you're uh, in one country yeah i had to pay for wine refills i, don't, I didn't drink like soda <laughs> <laughs> so i was expecting that but it was like much more affordable than i thought it would be everything God, has more of their shit together than we do of course they're on the metric system so that's part of it yeah well and also i mean brexit's going on so like things aren't perfect oh yeah it's not perfect but <laughs> i'm just saying <laughs> i'm just saying they got england's got boris johnson we have donald trump and all of his goons <laughs> that's fair yeah all right well uh, should we take a sip yeah cheers See, I just love a good dark and stormy to begin with. Yeah. So maybe I was being a little bit selfish when I was like, oh, yeah. It was a good idea. totally do that. I'm not usually very into rum, but I like it in this. Um, so the dark and stormy is two parts ginger beer, one part dark rum, one part Portuguese ginginha liqueur, which is a sour cherry liquor, fresh lime juice squeezed over the top, and I garnished it with a cherry tucked into a lime wedge using a toothpick. <laughs> so uh, if you want to make it in kind of the stacked way that I made it, uh, you pour the ginger beer over the ice in the glass and then in a separate glass you mix the rum and the ginginia then you carefully tilt the glass and pour the rum and the ginginia over the ginger beer like delicately so it doesn't mix as you're pouring it in i was too heavy-handed just tossing mine in the glass so it all mixed and i was like right slow down (laughs) but the one in the picture kind of reflects uh going slower and taking your time pouring it in and then uh, you put the lime over the top and after you take your first drink the cocktail kind of starts mixing itself so mm-hmm. you don't have to super worry about mixing it but if you want a good picture take a picture before you take a drink yeah well i don't think the the density of liquids is there to keep it separate the whole time it's not like we're pouring water over syrup and i think it really depends on the uh ginger beer that you use i experimented with a couple of different ones safeway has like their own ginger beer which is pretty good mm-hmm. but it's just slightly sweeter than the one that i put in this which is the bottle pictured in the Instagram picture. Um, but it's, this one's just a bit drier, so it's maybe not as dense. I really like Bundaberg. I think that's my favorite ginger beer out there. I am uh, not as practiced in ginger beer, 
as you are, I think. I, I It's weird. I really like ginger ale and ginger beers just as a whole. So I'm always getting it like whenever like, I'm on an airplane or something because I find it really refreshing. Maybe it's because my grandma had it all the time, but I often will go to buy some and then people are like, are you feeling okay, honey? Hmm. Are you sick right now? I'm like, no, I just like the taste of it. <laughs> yeah, I really like anything like gingery. And I've, I've always liked ginger ale. And then the last couple of years I learned about ginger beer and I was like, oh, it's like not soda-y. Like, yeah, I, yeah. Because it's better. Actually, uh, the dark and stormy. Uh, so I should actually back up a little bit. Uh, Lacey and I's friendship. Actually, we were part of another friend group and then we ran away together is kind of the best way to describe it. Yeah, I like that. But one of the ways that we really met is this group used to go to this uh, gothic club here in Seattle, which it was pretty fun, like once a month to dress up in that clothing and just go out and have fun because no judgment there. And I learned to be able to like dance in public by going to that club because nobody cared what like goth people are some of the least judgmental people. If you just like kind of show up and do your like fitting in part, then you can dress and like act and dance as weird as you want like within that and so I got really comfortable like dancing around other other people and just being my weird ass self so I I owe some of my personal development to that club yeah actually I remember uh, one night uh, the theme was big in Japan and I did have my own like outfit that I originally had planned out it was much more of an oriental style dress but then one of our friends was going to wear like a schoolgirl outfit and our other friend, he had his dragon costume. So instead I decided I'm going to dress up like Godzilla and I was just Godzilla on a leash at the goth club. <laughs> That's so awesome. So I just wearing this giant pajama onesie while I'm at the club. Godzilla. Um, but my go-to drink at the club used to be the Dark and Stormy. So what I would do, because they poured very heavily there, I would get my Dark and Stormy and they would always give you the bottle of ginger beer afterwards. Mm. So once I finished my actual alcoholic drink, I would just sit there drinking the ginger beer. So I would stay a little bit hydrated and not be drinking alcohol, but still have something to drink in my hand the whole time we were there. Smart. I got messed up there a lot of times. Yeah, I like that they were heavy pourers. Um, all right. Do you want to dive in? Are you ready for this? I'm ready to learn. All right. So why research this topic? Like I said, the episode started out as a much broader look at how weather affects people and animals and vice versa, too. I was kind of of curious about how we impact weather, but it very quickly narrowed down to weather and pain, particularly barometric pressure and chronic pain. I plan to do another episode at some point taking a broad look at weather and animals as well as humans, and like that's on my list. We both have long topic lists, <laughs> things we want to get to, uh, but my passion and just like my life took me here, so I decided to just kind of surrender to that process. I wanted to research how weather affects humans and animals because of my own anecdotal experience in this area. I've had fibromyalgia since at least 24 and I think we've talked about that a little bit on the show. We did, but I think actually a big bulk of uh, both of us having fibromyalgia, it was originally discussed in the human perception episode, but mm. I think a lot of that got cut just so we could make sure that we had an appropriate amount of time. That's fair. Okay, um, good to know. Yeah, yeah. go ahead and uh, share your experience with uh, fibromyalgia. So I was diagnosed with it in 2014, but that was after at least a year of kind of experiencing the sharp shooting muscle pains and having like a lot of other associated symptoms like headaches and some gut distress. Uh, I've got like transient pain in different areas of my body at different times. It's sharp shooting pains. And sometimes I also have dull aches in my joints and in my head, which I think is related to my sinuses. And all of that, like any chronic pain 
sufferer will tell you is a big drain on energy as well. Yeah, um, can confirm. Yeah, so uh, kind of that experience has made me, of course, like have a vested interest in <laughs> how different things affect pain, obviously. And then part of why I got really curious about this right now is like we were saying, I just got back from a trip to Portugal that lasted a little over a week. And while I was there in the warm climate with stable weather, I felt like a lot better the entire week that I was there. Mm -hmm. I was involved in a wedding, so I was also relatively busy and like eating food that was unfamiliar and hanging out with people who didn't necessarily speak my language and should have been a higher stress situation that would have in many cases been associated with more pain. But for me, it was less pain overall. Yeah, because you were in an environment that was more favorable to your body. I think so. Um, so we'll see We'll see what the science has to say about that though. <laughs> uh, things that would wear me out and like make me feel more pain, pain like just didn't do that. Like, and I took care of myself. I still rested and, you know, tried to like drink water when I needed to and all of that. Mm -hmm. But it was just, I felt like a stark difference. I know like also having a higher activity level is for some people associated with less pain. Like there are a lot of possible confounding factors, but the weather difference, especially coming from Seattle where it's the barometric pressure is just all over the place all the yeah, time. Yeah, true. Because of the rain moving in and out, like we don't really get a chance for the pressure to stabilize much. Uh, so I was like, ah, maybe there's something to this. Mm -hmm. So I dove in and part of the reason I resisted is uh, I didn't get all the answers I necessarily wanted in this quest. <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, starting with the Wikipedia page on weather pains. <laughs> the classiest, greatest resource. It states that science has not found supporting evidence for the connection between weather changes and arthritic or limb pain, which I learned the word for is meteoropathy, which I think is awesome. Meteoropathy? Oh, that makes sense. Uh, meteorology. Right, yeah. yeah. And then opathy is like yeah. some dysfunction or pain. It chalks the whole thing up to confirmation bias. Okay, so kind of similar to uh, the word lunatic, because people believed that the full moon actually created insanity in some people, but statistics have shown that there's no actual correlation between increased crazy events and the full moon, yet the phrase still remains. It's just that we're like looking for a correlation between those things, and so that gives us a confirmation bias, and every time it's confirmed, we are like, oh, a lot of crazy shit happens on the full moon, or oh, my, my pain feels better in warmer weather, and you don't notice all the other times that like crazy shit's happening not on the full moon or like yeah. a full moon is calm or the weather doesn't affect your pain. Yeah, I actually learned recently that uh, the whole uh, women's periods sync up when they're closer to each other is actually untrue. Really? It was actually, uh, it w I believe it was written by a man who said that and where our cycles can sync up over time just based on statistics, it's kind of like when you have your blinker on and the car in front of you is off by like a little bit and then at one point like eventually like your blinker will sync up then you'll fall out of sync again yeah it's kind of like that like with periods full moon strange activity things like that where it if you're looking for it to line up at this time then you'll see that it lines up but the math just doesn't support it sure yeah so uh that's kind of what i confronted at first <laughs> um but i did want to know is it possible that we just don't have enough evidence yet yeah uh due to any number of factors which i am going to explore and you know is it possible that wikipedia got something wrong <laughs> well as you did say during human perception, uh, there was a scientist who's completely disproven for finding out ways that plants communicate and then we're learning, hey, actually it might be a real thing. Right, he like left science. Yeah, and I <clears> had <throat> a bed and breakfast. I'm still mad about that. <laughs> uh, so another word in addition to meteoropathy that I learned is biometeorology, which uh, guess what that is? 
living meteorology related to living organisms and weather. Yeah, it's the study of how weather affects the well-being of living creatures. That edge of Latin that I've learned from just schools of biology books. It's insane how like you can pick up roots like that and be like, oh no, well I think I can I can guess what this might mean, but you're absolutely right. Yay! <laughs> well done. Uh, so yeah, uh, biometeorology studies everything from how weather affects crop yields to how pollution affects tree species to how weather affects our pet's health, like all kinds of things. Okay, yeah, that makes great sense. Uh, so I uh, dove into the archives of the International Journal of Biometeorology because I have been taught to look at like peer-reviewed journals for accurate research and things that aren't just like pop science reporting on the research. So I was trying to go to the source, but a subscription costs $106. Well, wow. <laughs> And to buy a single article costs $40 or a $50 a month subscription fee from another uh, place that you can access a bunch of journals. So um, I think that's fucking ridiculous. That is fucking ridiculous. And it's not because I don't value science. It's just that science is so inaccessible to the common person as to be irrelevant except when it's distilled for us and sometimes inaccurately distilled into something that is more accessible. Well, I also wonder if it's uh, also to provide funding for those sciences as well because sure. how many times have you heard that there's no money in research science? And so like I'm not mad at like science about this necessarily. I'm just <laughs> mad at like our value system and Damn like, it, science! <laughs> like where it's at and like yes, if I were a like current student or faculty member at a college, I could probably access these, but I'm not. So coming for you, Bill Nye. <laughs> Better warn Neil. Come for him too. Uh, so you can also like read the abstracts for free, but you don't get any clue in most abstracts as to like methodology. And a, a lot of abstracts are written in such a way as to showcase the results and not really how they got there, which how you get there is like a hugely important thing that could negate what you're trying to say. Well, if you're not a part of the solution, you're part of the precipice. <laughs> Just dropping science knowledge bombs. <laughs> like the five actual scientists out there got that joke and they're also like, these girls know nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, so I'm going to go into the research that I have been able to access and the abstracts I've been able to read and the reporting on that reporting uh, with some amount of skepticism. <laughs> okay, so this is uh, two parts removed. So it's actually now three parts removed reporting because it's you reporting on the reporting of the report. It's really like science parkour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what are some ways that we know whether affects humans? Any off the top of your head? Observations. What do you mean? Uh, you and I, for example, we have fibromyalgia and every now and then we'll contact each other and say, oh my gosh, it's uh, uh, it must be like a really low pressure system or the pressure system might be all over the place because both of us have joints that are affecting us and then things like a seasonal affective disorder. Yeah, definitely. Um, so there, are, some of those things are relatively established. Um, seasonal affective disorder is um, the result of depression triggered by a lack of sunlight. It can be treated with sun lamps and vitamin D. And those effects are the effects of SAD are frequently worse in the winter um, because there's less sunlight. So that all just makes like f physical sense. I think. Yeah. I'm categorizing that as weather related because I read that the sun's rising and setting is a meteorological event that falls under weather in general because of, it affects it. Yeah. Actually, when I went down to 
see the uh, solar eclipse a few years ago, um, one of the things that we heard all sorts of like rumors like before the eclipse happened that you will see livestock when the eclipse is occurring start to head back to like their pens because they're used to just like where the sun is that tells them what time of day it oh. is that kind of like triggers that response to them to like okay well now it's getting dark out it's time to go and begin sleeping and it can actually mess with some patterns of things like you may see like flowers closing up because the sun's gone away oh like, they wow. do it nighttime. that's so cool i didn't see any of that stuff i was just staring at the sun <laughs> sure like our uh, dear leader i i wore my shades okay i wore my protective glasses <laughs> well good for you you're better than he is in Many innumerable ways. ways well just because i possess a soul oh yeah you didn't uh, sell it <laughs> no surprisingly after all my talk about satan a few weeks ago i am still have my soul fully intact <laughs> you heard it here take that levey levey's <laughs> <laughs> like good i wasn't trying to take your soul it's a lot of misconceptions yeah <laughs> actually it's his daughter xena that's just like i thought we just went over this yeah come on guys you seem to get it um so some of the ways that we know uh, weather affects humans uh, are we've studied wind chill and heat index which both study how long we could survive in a given temperature wind and humidity uh, as as well as allergies, which we study like how wind affects when and where, what quantity of allergies get released at what time every every year, and it affects like tons of people mm-hmm. year round. So those are things that are relatively, I think, have been kind of easy to study and that people are like, yeah, obviously those are real. One of my personal anecdotes is that in a slightly breezy, cold environment, I get horrible ear pain and head pain. I get the same thing. <laughs> Wow. If there's a bit of like a wind and it's a little bit cold outside, if I'm not wearing a beanie, I'm just fucked. I have to carry earmuffs with me in Seattle, which doesn't get that cold. But like once it starts hitting like the rainy season, I have to carry earmuffs because a slight gust into my ear is like kills me for an hour. Yeah. Well, there was a point in time where uh, when Heath and I worked at where we lived actually very close by and it was maybe at most a 10-15 minute walk if you were taking your time. Sure. And I remember walking home from work one day and it just happened to be very windy and I had the worst headache. I came home and like I got like one of like my big like snowboarding beanies and put it on to cover my ears Mm. to warm up and even then it took a while for the headache to go away. Yeah. I'm sad to hear that you also have this affliction but also a little validated that I'm not crazy. When I talked to my doctor about it she was like I don't know maybe like an ENT would have the answer no it, it happens to me too <laughs> it's great yeah it's weird like it's it doesn't like if it's warm and breezy it doesn't matter no headache that yeah. won't happen if it's cold and not breezy fine but mm-hmm. like the combination uh i don't know if that's scientifically established but it is my lived experience and it sounds like yours yeah i've been there can confirm uh one thing that i read that was surprising uh, was that blood pressure tends to be higher in the winter really you know it's according to one of the sources that will post uh brenner is the name uh that you want to look for that source uh yeah they said blood vessels constrict in the cold to maintain body temperature so there's an interplay between the body managing temperature and pressure okay that makes sense uh because i've heard uh one of the reasons why you shouldn't drink when you're in cold weather is because your body naturally it wants to keep all of your blood at your core it wants to keep your heart your lungs your digestive tract safe but even though your fingers are very helpful to you you don't necessarily need those whereas you do need your core organs to survive yeah so usually that'll actually bring all of your blood to your core the way your body normally works and will shut off those outside extra systems but when you're drinking because it dilutes you enough it makes you feel like you are warmer because the blood is actually now spreading through your arms and legs but your core the part that actually needs to be safe is getting colder you're just not realizing oh my god 
I didn't I watch know Mythbusters. <laughs> <laughs> I, I missed I missed that one. <laughs> Man, you were on it today with the puns. <laughs> you know, the dark and sore knee really got me going, so I'm. Uh... I'm warmed up. Um, Another uh, biometeorology study that I read uh, using mice found that surgical anesthetics effectiveness could be reduced on days with high geomagnetic activity. What? Yeah. uh, The source you're going to look at for that in our sources is Fournier 2019. Um, But yeah, so that's not necessarily generalizable to humans, but they found that the surgical anesthetics effectiveness, like the ability for it to actually fully numb the mice, depended on whether or not the day was a day of high geomagnetic activity. That is crazy. Yeah, I'm like, so we just like don't know what we don't know, like shit like that. Yeah, well, as you know, a couple of years ago, um, I was being tested for MS. I, I do not have MS. Uh, it was around the time I lost vision in my eye. And one of the things they were telling me is that they don't know why, but the further you get away from the equator, the higher your chances of getting an autoimmune disease like MS increases. What? Yeah, they don't know what it is, but the further you get away from the equator, I don't know. Is it? I don't know if it's because you're closer to a magnetic pole. I don't know if it's because you don't have a consistent sunlight science doesn't really know but that was what every single doctor told me oh my gosh yeah i had no idea that's fascinating and scary yeah yeah so the further you're away from the equator mm, you might be fucked and they have no idea why they don't know why (laughs) and even if we did know why it's not like we should start playing around with the earth's magnetic field sure yeah it just sounds like people should move closer to the equator (laughs) then then again with global warming should we really be moving closer to the equator yeah that's a good point (laughs) you're fucked congratulations world (laughs) another effect that i didn't know about was that there is a correlation between a sudden drop in air pressure that's usually associated with storms and spontaneous labor in pregnant women um like non-induced but like oh uh yeah so if there's like a drop in pressure there's more likely to be uh more labors triggered around that time i wonder if uh, it's kind of like the same thing with like a depressurizing the submarine really quickly oh really just uh if you have all the pressure on the outside to equalize to the atmosphere on the outside and then you were to like open that hatch on a submarine or if you were to open it to another area that has a different pressure you would get sucked into the other part of it <laughs> so are you implying that the baby is getting sucked, sucked out, right out by the bottom. atmospheric pressure maybe it's just like loosening things up it's just like oh my god the, the hands of the atmosphere aren't pressing on her belly anymore <laughs> now her uterus is like just let it slide on out yeah maybe like yeah, nature can finally do its job yeah <laughs> But yeah, I thought that was like very interesting. That was in uh, the same article that I'm going to read a little bit more from called How Weather Affects Your Body. This article had the subtitle, Want to know how the what the weather is going to look like? Ask your knees. <laughs> well, Valentin Strzokowski does. Yes, he knows. He knows how long <laughs> the winter is. Uh, his simple, exp- the title, um, sorry, the title of the article is How Weather Affects Your Body. The author is Dennis Mezaru, and his simple explanation of why dropping barometric pressure could cause joint pain I thought was really great. So I'm going to read this quote to you because it just made physical sense to me. Quote, our joints are full of fluid that allows bones to glide across one another without grinding together. This fluid is susceptible to changes in atmospheric pressure as weather systems come and go. Higher air pressure feels better on your joints. Lower air pressure means that there's more pressure inside your joint than outside of it, causing those joint fluids and surrounding tissues to expand, leading to the nagging aches and pains, end quote. Okay, so it's just kind of like you have the natural bends. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. Like the 
fluids and gases in your body are like, wait, what are we supposed to be doing here now? We've got a shift. I can't maintain myself. Yeah. Uh, the article also also mentions how ju- uh, the article also mentions that joint fluid can thicken in the cold and that the surrounding tissues tighten. And I was like, oh, I had never heard of that. But like, just based on the little physical science that I know, that makes sense, right? Usually if something is cold, it would contract. Yeah, just basic principles of matter. I mean, it's, it's warmer, it expands. If it's cold, it becomes more rigid. So why do I find several sources saying there's nothing to prove this? There's no evidence. We just don't know. I wonder if it's one of those things where in in Seattle, we get those extreme swings. And you and I have talked about this several times because I know there have been times where we've been texting each other. Like, do you feel like your joints are exploding? Because I feel like my joints are exploding right now. Yeah. Uh, But in other areas, I wonder if those changes in pressure are so mild that maybe where they're doing the studies, they're not seeing a big enough difference to actually register that might make sense or maybe they just don't have enough data to actually say this is 100% proven because it needs to go through so many steps and so many different forms of testing that's true that's fair I'm, yeah I'm trying to be objective no I appreciate that I, I'm like yeah these are all like valid explanations other than I don't know you're making it up <laughs> You don't have magic bends, okay? Just stop with the magic bends. And then the last thing about like kind of how the things that we know about it is uh, in addition to the fluid in our joints and the blood in our veins, we have another system that I don't think I was taught about in school, the lymphatic system. Oh, like your lymph nodes and everything, which is uh, white blood cells, things like that. Yeah, it's a part of the immune system and it's responsible for delivering lymph, which is a fluid, to necessary places in the body and maintaining a fluid balance in the body. Lymph circulates through the body much like blood. Uh, but it's squeezed instead of pumped. And so it's just like the system that's constantly like trying to maintain like where and how much and what kind of fluid should be in different parts of your body. And I feel like I don't ever read anything about that. You know, I didn't even know lymph nodes existed until I had mono when all of them turned into giant bubbles on the Mm. side of my neck because my first sign was my lymph node behind my ear swelled up and I went online and Wikipedia told me that that bump was a lymph node. And I was like, what the fuck is a lymph node? (laughs) Yeah, they swell up in case of infection, usually. Yeah, it's a big sign of uh, mononucleosis are the swollen lymph nodes. Oh, interesting. That makes sense. Um, So, yeah, I didn't know about, like, I knew about lymph nodes, but I didn't know about the lymphatic system until after I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and started looking around for, like, what is in my body that is causing all this pain? I actually did not know about how it uh, actually balances the different fluids that go through your body. All I knew was like, lymph nodes, something about infection, something about white blood cells, good enough. And what you knew was accurate. It was just like not not complete, which I think like what anybody knows about the lymph system is not complete <laughs> at this point. Um, but I just feel like it's potentially useful. I didn't find any like research about how barometric pressure affects it, but I was like, look, there's this whole system that we've barely even fucking studied in our bodies. And we're like, well, I don't know. There's just no evidence. I'm like, yeah, no evidence doesn't like mean not real though right because like what is like it seems like we really need to be researching this system i feel like we're still learning things about our bodies all the goddamn time sure i mean we haven't explored the bottom of the ocean like our our world is a mystery to us (laughs) 20 percent of five percent is nothing that's right yeah we don't know shit Um, So I just feel like uh, that seems like an important potential contributing factor in how pressure could affect pain, Mm -hmm. the movement of fluid through the body. I mostly just point that out to add to the notion that we're just figuring out a lot of stuff still. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So uh, what is the background on this idea that weather impacts pain? Because I brought it up and you were like, immediately, like, 
there's this movie and like people reference it and you and I talk about it. Like mm. this is basically an accepted fact yeah. by a lot of people. Um, but so to me, it seems like there's a real gap between like people's anecdotal experiences over literally centuries, like I'll get into it, literally centuries mm -hmm. and the scientific data that's like, eh, we just don't know. See, I actually have this one uh, anecdotal story. Um, now, as the listeners are going to learn, I have a lot of stories related to illness and injury because I just don't take care of myself and I'm going to die young and I know that. But a couple years ago, I completely destroyed my shoulder. How I did is its own story and its own rant. But the point of the matter is uh, I have a not tendonitis. I have tendinosis in my shoulder, which means that my tendons are actually dying in my arm. Um, it's at its most manageable that it can be at this point in time. I had to limit a lot of movement. But in the middle of my diagnosis, when I was first badly injured, I went to Las Vegas that year for Christmas. Because again, that's where I'm from. And for a while, Heath and I were doing uh, one Christmas up here, one Christmas down there. On the way back from Las Vegas, we had a layover in Salt Lake City. And during this layover, it was like the beginning beginning of January, it was so cold outside that the actual ramp up onto the, the terminal was frozen oh my and couldn't connect to the airplane. So we had to like wait until like they chiseled this thing so it could get people off the airplane and actually get people boarded. Wow. But to make up time, our flight was given permission to fly faster, I guess. So we did a rapid ascent out of Salt Lake City. I thought my arm was going to fall off. I have never been in so much pain as I was during that rapid takeoff. So that wasn't something I was expecting to happen with the rapid takeoff, but I can definitely attest to how it felt when we did. Wow. It was terrible. Yeah, I bet. I think I just popped a couple of uh, muscle relaxers at that point and a pain pill and just passed out until we got to Seattle because there was no saving me at that point. Yeah, that seems like the right move. Um, so I will say, uh, kind of piggybacking on that, the most pain I was in on the Portugal trip was on the 10-hour flight over the ocean, like t on the way there because I think of the pressure yeah. and the temperature. Yeah, there's a big change. Yeah, so I feel ya. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... I feel like, look, I know that we, as humanity, have believed a lot of things, and we found out later that we were wrong about those things. <laughs> <laughs> we as people, we as individuals, I'm sure have been through that as well. For instance, I, we know that we live in a heliocentric solar system, which is a solar system where the planets orbit the sun, but we wrongly believed that we were the center of the solar system and universe for a very long time. Yeah. So I know that like sometimes we believe wrongly and we come around. Uh, the Wikipedia page on weather pain tells me that a belief in a connection about weather and pain has existed at least since the Roman Empire. Well, again, our most science has developed observation. Yeah, I, I think that's really germane. Uh, around 400 BC, Hippocrates was the first to note that many illnesses were related to changes in season. Isn't he where the Hippocratic Oath comes from? Yes. Okay, so, so I mean, <laughs> this guy. But also, like, devil's advocate. I haven't read all of his writings, but I'm sure he said some stuff that was wrong, too. I think uh, Socrates, like, really believed in uh, uh, bad blood. Mm. Like, uh, he, like, bloodletting. Uh, one of the reasons people believed in illnesses was because you had too much bad blood in your system, and that's why women bled once a month. Well, they used to have mad love, and now they have bad blood. So it's all very simple. <laughs> well, I mean, now we know why we have our menstrual cycles but that was actually something I, I think it was Socrates or one of those early on philosophers like uh, Aristotle or Plato uh, believed that women were not 
shedding their uteral lining once a month, what women were actually doing is they were bleeding out the the bad blood, which is why they would get PMS symptoms beforehand and why sometimes they'd be queasy during it because you just had to get that bad blood out of your system. It's a pretty parsimonious explanation for what they understood at the time. Dude, for, don't get me started on so much that was wrong with the science and illnesses of women. You and I have had this rant before. <laughs> we'll have it again. <laughs> Different episode. Um, <clears throat> we also say we feel under the weather when we're sick. I just feel like we've been at, talking like this is connected for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I want to go over some of the evidence, I think, in favor of this idea. In the 1960s, researcher John Hollander isolated patients with rheumatoid arthritis in sealed chambers and found that swelling and stiffness both increased with a rise in humidity and a drop in barometric pressure. Like, why are we even still debating that? Yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, I wasn't able to read that original study. I don't know what the sample size was. I don't know... If there was a peer review conducted... What the methodology was, who those people were, how diverse that group was. So, again, grain of salt. But that does seem like something that we should be looking more into, no? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that that would make sense. Uh, One study in 2007 uh, studied 200 osteoarthritis patients, so not rheumatoid arthritis, but the bone arthritis and found that, you, uh, and this was in the U.S., they found that there were consistent associations between a change in barometric pressure and ambient temperature and reported pain severity. They established this was a consistent correlation. Well, Wikipedia, just get your shit together. <laughs> you know, Wikipedia, I come to you for answers. I don't come to you with questions and more anger. <laughs> yeah, well, you might now. <laughs> Another study in 2011 published in the journal Internal Medicine with a limited sample size of only 28, so know uh-huh. that. They found that about half of the migraine sufferers in the study, uh, they were all migraine sufferers, but about half of them reported more migraine pain with lower barometric pressure. So maybe it's a thing for some people and not a thing for some other people. Mm-hmm. Is that is it possible that there are idiosyncratic differences between individuals? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think so. Well, you and I are also both uh, migraine sufferers, but my first migraine was when I was 12 years old. And they just come whenever they feel like kicking my ass. Mm. Like, I don't feel like that has so much to do with, with what the, the weather's like. Uh, as as far as my joint pain and my stiffness, I 100% know that that is weather and pressure related. Yeah, I actually ha- I'm not a migraine sufferer. I have like recurrent headaches, but I've never actually had like a real migraine. Oh god, you never want to have a real yeah, migraine. Yeah, I'm, I'm no, I'm fortunate in that one. <laughs> uh, I don't want to have one. Uh, they sound like horrifying. It was so, so my first migraine when I was 12 years old. Um, I was my mom found me in the entryway of our house on my knees, holding my head and sobbing because of hurt so bad she immediately recognized the symptoms so she ushered me to like our downstairs back bedroom which is our guest room and it had a blackout shade in there and she pulled the shade down she brought me like some ibuprofen she like gave me advices like on different ways that she lays when she has migraines it helps her out she even gave me a we even went to the bathroom later and she turned on the shower to create a steam room and mas- massaged my scalp. Wow. And she even like confirmed like with the doctor because she was like, I know she's she's 12. It sounds like a migraine. The doctor was like, sometimes it just happens early. Wow. Yikes. Like, she 12. knew what the pain's like. That was That's cool how like responsive and like I know what to do for this. Well, me, my mom essentially diagnosed me with fibromyalgia too. Because, that, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, because she, uh, she touched my arm. It, it was just a light brush on the arm and I said, ow. And she recognized the signs because her mom mother has fibromyalgia and as soon as she was able to confirm with me where my pain was how I was feeling and what it felt like she was like you need to go to the doctor wow yeah so (laughs) like anecdata is useful yeah (laughs) so I, I just like reading through all these things I felt 
baffled that, like, aside from anecdotal reports of tons of people over centuries of time, like, I kept reading statements, like, we just, like, don't have evidence for this. They're like, jury's still out, because I think scientifically, in the scientific community and, like, research-wise, it just hasn't been extensively researched enough. Yeah. That's that's my thought at this at this point in this episode, anyway. I feel like every time we're talking about something, like, with a science, we're like, we just haven't, like, really researched it all that much, and I've started watching, what the hell are we researching? <laughs> We're researching how to give old men boners into perpetuity, because that's the most important thing. Actually, so, I heard something about that, too. Go Alex for it. Alex just reads things. Um, actually, originally, Viagra was not created to cause boners. It was caused uh, to increase blood flow, and I don't remember what the original thing that it was, but they just found out that getting boners was a side effect. <sighs> And then they were like, oh, we can commercialize this for dicks. And, like, I'm not saying that there's not, like, quality of life related to sexual health for men. Like, that's clearly an issue that needs to be dealt with. I'm just saying, like, men and women suffer from chronic pain. It's unexplained. And it seems like also something that we should be putting our resources into. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about um, I could talk about the difference in how uh, medications for men and women are priced differently how they are available more to men than they are to women and all that bullshit and please just stay the fuck out of my uterus right Uh, John Oliver did a great episode on last week tonight recently about um, like medical research and how uninclusive it is and how like sure like you can't necessarily generalize all data based on like one group of like white men in the 40s to like literally everyone forever you and I have talked about how heart attacks in women are so different from heart attacks in men. He covers that, yeah. But all you hear is like, you're going to get pain on your left side where your heart is and may go shoot up and down your arm. You're going to feel all these different things. And it's like, oh, for women, the symptoms are completely different. Yeah, women usually don't even feel the chest pain. I think when Rosie O'Donnell had her heart attack, she remembered feeling both hot and cold at the same time. She felt lightheaded and she felt pressure, but it was more like in her shoulder and like her neck. Mm, That seems like useful information. Yeah, so she didn't realize she was having a heart attack at first because of that. Because the information is gendered, but we don't know it's gendered. So there have, uh, of course, been attempts to debunk the belief that weather impacts pain, and I will go into some of that now. (laughs) I'm sure you can tell by my voice that I'm really excited to do so. I can really tell that you are just stoked for this. Yeah, I just really want to debunk this idea. Uh, So a 2016 article titled, Do Your Aches, Pains, Predict Rain? Uh, In that article, Professor of atmosphere. First of all, whoever wrote that article, give them brownie points for that title. I don't know what else they deserve, but good on you. Okay, that one's good. I will hit you with a better one here in a little bit. Like, people are having a lot of fun with the (laughs) rhyme in this one. (laughs) Okay, you and your dark and sorny. (laughs) Right. I told you this was going to be a dark episode. Uh, so do your aches, pains predict rain? Uh, in the article, the professor of atmospheric sciences, Dennis Driscoll, is reported as stating, quote, people need to realize that the pressure changes associated with storms are rather small. The article goes on to say, in fact, Driscoll observes that the changes associated with a storm are about what a person experiences in going up in an elevator in a tall building. So that would make it seem generally less likely yeah. that it would be affecting us to mm-hmm. that extent. Poss- it is possible, I think, that there may be some undetectable joint swelling occurring with drops and barometric pressure, but that we have just been unable to measure this. Mm -hmm. It's also possible that even if being in a drier, warmer climate is temporarily helpful, this effect might be time limited. One doctor is quoted as saying, quote, I have patients who go down south for the winter and they feel great for the first few months, but then their body acclimates to that weather pattern and they start feeling just like they did before. Mm, 
That's a good point. So as always, this doctor urges patients to focus on behavioral elements that they have control over and not just moving to another region. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that another, one article states that part of the reason it's difficult to attempt to study how weather affects pain is because of the subjective nature of both the experience and the reporting of pain. We don't have a good way to measure pain except with subjective self-report. Yeah, like on the you go to the hospital and they say on a scale of 1 to 10, how severe is your pain? And they don't even explain that. Usually that's supposed to be like 10 is supposed to be the pain, that, the worst pain you've ever experienced in your life. Mm -hmm. Not the worst pain you can imagine a person having. Not like, like that's not even really standardized in any real way. The one to 10 pain scale. Yeah. So I feel like all we have is that. And I think it's additionally complicated by the fact that some people are going to try disbelieve what a person says about their pain no matter what. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, uh, different people experience uh, pain in different ways. And also, if you're feeling that pain consistently for a long amount of time, you just get used to it after a while. Yeah. Like, I had no idea I had fibromyalgia until my mom brought it up. And I was like, I just thought this is how people felt. Like, I just thought this is just how bodies work. Yeah. I remember the mindfuck it was when I was going through, like, first getting the pain symptoms and like I would ask Lee like be, I felt so crazy I'd be like does your right arm hurt right now are you getting the what is happening yeah. <laughs> like why just me <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's weird and even when like you see someone in pain you can recognize by their reaction that they're in pain but you can't feel it it's the same reason why our memory can't have you remember that pain you were in right imagine like if you were stabbed in the arm and you could actually remember the exact pain of that and you could revisit that Ugh. on a dime there's Seems a reason like, we can't yeah protection for ourselves yeah that's not re-traumatized so you can empathize with the fact that someone's in distress but you can't really know what pain they're in right yeah or how it affects them so i think like we're limited by that for sure mm -hmm. um i found a quote from a doctor that enraged me so here this is <laughs> jesus christ um quote the subject of pain and weather greatly interests patients and it's amazing that it doesn't interest more researchers or clinicians in the united states i have patients who talk about it with me every day so i love this doctor yeah no i'm not mad at the and doctor excellent points so here we have a phenomenon wherein people who experience it report a correlation, but science has been un unable to establish a connection. I thought I saw a flash. I thought that was lightning. I thought I heard thunder too. Oh my God. We I never get this. I know. Okay, so uh, sidebar. <laughs> Lace and are both from the desert. Granted, different deserts. She's from Texas. I'm from Las Vegas. So we're used to really cool lightning and thunderstorms in the summer, especially at the end of the summer when we usually have our monsoon seasons. That never happens in Seattle because it's just never dry enough. I just saw a flash like in the window behind you. And I was thinking maybe I'm going crazy. Like maybe like your screen changed at like the same time or sure. something. But then I heard the fucking thunder. <sighs> I heard the thunder earlier and I was like, oh, it's probably a delivery truck rolling by. <laughs> like I just dismiss it because I'm used to it not happening. Oh, how appropriate. Yeah, so like the weather's like, oh, you really don't want to feel anything. Here I am, motherfucker. <laughs> right. Good thing we have plenty of rum and ginger. Yeah. <laughs> Thor just came down. He's like, oh, I'm going to show you. Take that Midgard. <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking like Alex Jones right now. Because uh, we're feeling, we're feeling, I think, a little conspiracy theory. Because there's something where it's like science hasn't proven it, but we're oh, like, God damn, this is real. Look at the trees. The, the wind is starting to pick up. <gasps> oh, you can see them moving. I love it. You know what? This is on theme. <laughs> That's true. It is. I'm pretty excited that this is happening while we're recording. Yeah. This. Maybe very, you'll like... see more flash across my face. <laughs> 
Okay, so in uh, continuing to debunk the weather, the belief that weather impacts pain, I think that it wouldn't be honest or complete without going into the possibility of psychology playing a role. Okay. Which we've been talking about a little bit, I think, mm -hmm. here and there. So, of course, there remains the possibility of a psychological connection between weather and pain, and that makes me wary to go into, <laughs> uh, because we know that our minds and bodies are related and that they impact each other. We know that the placebo effect is one of the most powerful and consistent effects studied in medical literature. Literature. Mm -hmm. So we know that the mind and body affect each other. My concern is that in the US, I think we simplistically tend to think body equals real problem, mind equals made up problem you've caused for oh, yourself. That's fair. Uh, so I know that's not the case. Yes. As a person who was trained in mental health for many years. Uh, but I just don't, I don't want to introduce that possibility of it being dismissed. So mind equals real problem too. It's just problems we don't understand as mm -hmm. well. And we already know we don't understand body problems that well. So take that, distill it, rewind it back. Yeah. understand you may not be getting it may not be what you think it is yes so naturally when we don't understand something we look to the poor person reporting said thing to see if we can find an inconsistency i think it's something a lot of people do and sometimes look for a reason to dismiss the person reporting said thing so i'm proceeding with a lot of caution yes. <laughs> trying to talk about the don't want to believe this don't want to hear this climate change is not a thing can't believe the world is ending <laughs> yeah so um i wouldn't i also i think i'm afraid because i wouldn't want to make any doctor like disbelieve what their patient is saying like mm -hmm. oh well they're not experienced like i think they are experiencing whatever they say they're experiencing it's just we might not understand why at this point yeah uh so storms and mood uh, it's clearly not true for us but <laughs> i think it's possible that on grayer days you might have a mood that's not as good and it might be more difficult to bear the pain we know that pain and mood can kind of influence each other in some ways. So that that's a possibility, I think. Yeah, I, I see dark that. outside, you're more tired. That makes sense. Yeah, and like, I mean, in general, like, I like storms, but when it's been gray most of the day for months, as it will be by the end of February, I do notice <laughs> I find it harder to bear. That is fair. Uh, another possibility is confirmation bias, which we talked about um, kind of remembering the times that the weather change corresponded to a change in pain. So I think that's really possible. I think that's one of the biggest like possibilities for a factor in this because mm -hmm. I think confirmation bias is like a huge thing that we all experience because we as humans have to kind of put filters on our experience and try to be like well where does this fit into like my understanding of the world yeah so, that makes sense I don't know that may I, I can understand how that would play a role additionally uh as I was alluding to a little bit earlier uh a sincere belief that the weather changes are uh, that weather changes can cause pain might actually result in pain which is the placebo effect yeah so if we we believe that something will have an effect it might actually have that effect uh, a lot of times placebo effect is more limited to like specifically like medical research and mm -hmm. the act of taking a pill even like when you know it's a placebo can still have positive effects because yeah. there's something about taking a pill so that could tangentially apply to this but it's not necessarily like the exact right term that I'm looking for I actually have a potential placebo effect that actually works for me mm. um, so as you know I have terrible nightmares I, yeah. it's, I just don't sleep like a normal person as our listeners are going to learn over time, I'm just fucked up. But when I was a kid, my mom bought me a dream catcher and it stopped me from having nightmares. And then when my nightmares would like eventually return, like after a few years, I would just get a new dream catcher. And I've recently been having really bad nightmares recently and I don't necessarily believe in the magic of the dream catcher, but I was talking to my mom and she was like, even if it's just a placebo effect, 
it worked when you were a kid. Maybe if you get one now, it'll help you. Yeah, it seems worth a try. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, um, I know, I'm sure there's some research establishing it, but I know uh, they say lavender relaxes you, and lavender relaxes me. And if I smell lavender before I go to sleep, I'm more likely to get to sleep quicker. Like, yeah. for what reason? Who's to say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I do, I do think placebo effect and, like, expectation certainly impacts effects and things. Um, I also wonder if part of debunking the placebo effect is that over time, as pain doesn't necessarily decrease with various treatments, placebo or non, a person with chronic pain might not believe in the placebo effect as much because you've tried a bunch of fucking things and uh, it seems like nothing works in some cases. And so I could see how that could wear down your belief in the effect as well. Uh, what not that called the uh, nocebo effect? What is the nocebo, nocebo effect? Uh, yeah, the nocebo effect is when you are in a treatment condition and you know that a group is getting some kind of treatment and another group is getting a placebo and you get nothing. You have no treatment condition, like they're not doing anything for you and mm -hmm. that can be correlated with actually negative results because you're like, you have the belief that A, you're not going to get better and B, no one's trying to help you. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, I actually didn't know about the nocebo effect until I like was researching this. Yeah. I learned it from Adam Ruins Everything. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's nice. That makes sense. Um, so I think placebo effect could, we could, I could go on. We could probably talk about that for a whole episode. Yeah. I have it on my list. So I just kind of it's wanted there, to touch in on how that might relate. So why does the idea that there's a connection between weather and pain continue to persist? I think that one of the reasons why it persists, apart from the possibility that it's actually true, is that it absolves pain sufferers from some of the responsibility for our pain because there are limits to how we can man manage pain pharmacologically. Yeah. Mainly that our medications are frequently addictive or somewhat helpful or helpful for a time or have side effects, a lot of complicated things in that or are illegal in many states. Much of chronic pain treatment relies on behavioral changes for the pain sufferers. Okay, so it's like, uh, obviously the, the Tylenol isn't working anymore, the other things I've tried aren't working, but I don't want to change the fact that I'm watching Netflix every night. Must just be the weather. Yeah. Could be, could be. Yeah. Also, I think like we have we have a higher anyone with a chronic condition has a higher expectation on them to take care of themselves. That's true. I think like the medical community when we don't know when they don't know what to do are like okay, well, um, exercise, lose weight. Like I remember being so thankful that when I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, I was not overweight because every other person I know who's ever been diagnosed who is overweight, like that's the only and the first thing they get told is like, you got to just lose weight. And it's like, will that cure me? Well, no, but like you got to lose weight. Yeah. I, I feel like the uh, diet and exercise is the like biggest, like always go to for every problem. And no, you shouldn't just be sitting on the sofa eating bonbons every night. Obviously, like, you, like you take care of it. yourself. Clearly, we know that's a thing. But like some people don't take care of themselves and they yeah. don't get sick or fat. Yeah. <laughs> and like, uh, I know in my case, I'm a very active person and I don't just sit around watching Netflix. Trust me, there are days where <laughs> I do, like all of us. But um, I don't have any other health issues. I'm usually pretty good about that. And I do literally everything I can to manage my pain and my body without being like extreme. Sure. And yet I still have the fibromyalgia pain. I still get the migraines. Right. And if you stop doing any of those things and you went to a doctor, the doctor would be like, well, here, go through this list of things that you yourself should be doing because you have to take care of this before they went into probably anything else. Yeah. So I think you can sense part of my tone here. Uh, another anecdotal experience for me is that when I was first diagnosed, I was still working full time. Mm -hmm. And I was working in a really stressful career field, which was I was doing mental health counseling in a community 
community clinic and I was very stressed out and they told me, the doctor that I went to told me, well, the treatment for this is more activity. And I was having daily headaches, horrible muscle pain, um, mental health symptoms, a lot of issues and still working, like I felt like absolute dog shit at the end of every single day. Just mm-hmm. like com- like everything that had been taken out of me. I remember how you were feeling at that time. <laughs> you were that you were around to witness that. Yeah, I, I remember right. I was there. Fuck. And so um, that happened and I had an amazing doctor who moved on to teach somewhere and I got a new doctor who told me, well, the established treatment for that is exercise. So I started waking up early every day before work because my doctor was cool with it. Me just doing, starting that out mm-hmm. of nowhere with a chronic illness, the solution was for me to do more. So awesome. I woke up early every morning before work and I did gentle exercises with myself. I did yoga and Pilates and things like that and then sometimes I would try to do aerobics and it all made everything much worse. (laughs) Just like, oh, wait a second. Yeah. Maybe this isn't the solution. So in addition to the pain and the fatigue and the headaches and the gut stuff and the not sleeping well, I also was furious. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, so the whole thing about like, well, talk to your doctor before you start a program and then like do a whole thing. Like, oh, so that's just bullshit and like, obviously it's not for everyone all the time but in that case it certainly was yeah so I'm like "Mm, I I feel like I've been burned by the like I don't know what to do with you but I know what you can do for yourself I, uh, I, I told you this was going to be, like, kind of hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a lot of feelings about this episode, both uh, physically and emotionally. Yeah, uh, so as chronic pain patients, we're supposed to exercise, uh, eat anti-inflammatory diets in some cases, reducing sugar and or alcohol and or gluten or whatever might be inflaming you. Perhaps learn to meditate so that the pain matters less to you and learn to live in a certain amount of pain. So I'm going to repeat that last part. We're expected to learn to live in a certain amount of pain. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do some shit differently, learn some shit, figure out on our own what works, and just accept that this is your life now. It just sucks. Enjoy that. Yeah. And that's, on some level, feels absurd. And also, how old were you when you started dealing with chronic pain? I'm pretty sure I've had it my whole life because I just thought this was how people existed. I think I was, like, probably around 16 when, like, the chronic low back stuff started up. Yeah. And, like, maybe we are supposed to live in a certain amount of pain after 40. I want my years back is what I'm saying. (laughs) I mean, I told you, I had my first migraine when I was 12 fucking years old. That is insane. I had had several headaches before that in my life. So it wasn't just like, here's your first headache. It was like, there's headaches and then there's whatever the fuck is happening to me right now. debilitating, horrible thing. I can't be around the light. Noises are just horrific and all that fun stuff. So, oh my God. Sorry, I got distracted by the sound of the rain. Um, that is not rain. Is that, that hail? No, that is, that is God's pissed at us. <laughs> <laughs> that is God is taking a leak and he is pissing on us. Or he's crying over the state of the medical establishment in this country. <laughs> he's like, oh my God, they're so real. <laughs> the God I worshipped back in the day <laughs> mourns with us. <laughs> this is like the Old Testament God just being like, I'm gonna have a good cry. And then we're gonna get some shit done. I hope so. Roll up your sleeves, God. <laughs> just get it. Help us, please. Um, <laughs> so imagine if moving All somewhere with different weather would just take the pain away. So we wouldn't be expected to just find ways to deal with it. 
we could be free from the pain and the expectation that it is now our job, a job that we never applied for, <laughs> to forever try and manage it. I know that there are other conditions apart from pain. Diabetes comes to mind for me, although diabetic neuropathy is a chronic pain disease, uh, wherein the condition is tasked, the, uh, the patient is tasked with lifelong condition management. Mm -hmm. I agree that in most cases, as long as there's some quality of life for the patient, lifelong management of a chronic condition is better than the alternative, which seems to be death. <laughs> but like, wouldn't it be great if there were like another door we could walk through? <laughs> oh, just fix it. Yeah. Well, also, it, it makes me wonder, uh, speaking about climate and how it affects your health, uh, back when people had tuberculosis, a lot of people moved out west to drier, more arid, warmer climates. Mm. And I wonder if it's that thing where uh, the doctors were saying, we'll notice like our elderly patients will move to like a warmer climate, like Phoenix or something, and they'll feel better at first, but then they acclimate. And I wonder if with tuberculosis patients, it wasn't so much that arid atmosphere was actually helping them with their tuberculosis. It was just, they moved to another environment and then once they adapted, that's when they degraded because everyone still ended up dying of tuberculosis. That's fair, yeah. <laughs> that didn't cure the tuberculosis. Yeah. Um, I, Lee talks about how a lot of people move to like the Pacific Northwest for hours allergy relief and he was like but your allergies seem to get worse when we moved here and I was he, like yeah I didn't have allergies until I moved here but I mean we're both from the desert we didn't exactly have this many trees or plant life around I mean the part in Texas that I'm from wasn't super deserty but it was relatively dry a lot of the year like the grass mm -hmm. dies off every year and is dead all summer and all winter like you get <laughs> a few months of green in between but <laughs> yeah that doesn't happen in Las Vegas we're in the middle of the Mojave Desert yeah there's a reason why Las Vegas is the second hottest city in the country. Uh, we're not far from Death Valley. <laughs> There's a place just north of Las Vegas called the Valley of Fire. I mean, just laying out a few things. Yeah, so uh, I think you're more qualified from a desert uh, <laughs> community than me. But I mean, I am used to it. But we did storms. also go come from warmer environments with a different pressure system. Yeah, and I'm sure like, you know, big storms roll through Texas and I'm sure that's changing pressure as well. But I just feel like we're constantly under flux here. Yeah, I, I feel that way too. You and I have spoken about it several times to each other. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to tell you the title of the other article, which I think is very cleverly stated. Um, I disagree with the thesis, but the article title is cleverly stated. All right, Dennis Driscoll, they're coming for you. <laughs> uh, this is from the Boston Globe, and it's titled, The Rain, It's Plain, Has No Effect on Pain. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> you know, you did a great job with a spotlight and exposing the Catholic Church, but I think this is the real gem that's come out of the Boston Globe. This is some prize reporting right here yeah. as far as titling's concerned. <laughs> it was like someone really like had a field day with that one. <laughs> I, uh, I think I shared uh, with you uh, an article on CNN. I think I put it on my Facebook or my mm -hmm. Twitter a while ago. It was a chicken that killed a fox that came into the chicken coop, and the title was A Murder most foul. <laughs> I like it when people have fun with things That's like, like news. Pulitzer, Peabody, everything. So this article, The Rain It's Plain Has No Effect on Pain, uh, it states that just because we haven't found a correlation, it doesn't mean that the pain isn't real or that there isn't a correlation. Like a lot of the doctors they talk to are like, yeah, I still believe my patients. I think it's part of my rage that's related to this issue is that we don't have the adequate treatment for chronic pain. And so I think the medical community, whether intentionally or unintentionally, will tend to favor disbelieving the person over admitting a systemic lack or a fault. Mm. 
again, not my experience. I have a great doctor now. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, I I feel like, especially someone who wants to help, right? Like, it's not even necessarily intentional to blame or task the patient with all of the management. It's just, like, not knowing what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one thing that I do appreciate about my doctor is she's very much like if she doesn't have the answer, she'll tell you. And she's very open about like where the limits are. And I feel like a lot of doctors, because we go to them expecting them to be the encyclopedia of medical knowledge. Yeah. They're like, I need to have an answer. And I'm just going to like, if you don't agree with my answer, I'm just going to shut you down. Yeah. I I do appreciate about my doctor that when she doesn't know, she's like, I don't know, I can research it, or I can refer you to someone that I know I know yeah. does know. And I'm like, great, thank I you. I would much rather have that. That's yeah. someone I will trust much more with my physical well-being and, you know, my ability to keep living. Than someone who just feels responsible to, like, bullshit me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so could we be missing something about this connection, this purported connection between pain and weather? Is it possible that we're missing some factor? I know that barometric pressure, temperature, and humidity all affect us as humans. I'm sure they affect us differently in different combinations and for different combinations of pain condition. So it just kind of makes sense. I don't want to get like too conspiracy theory like Alex Jones, but is it Alex Jones? (laughs) Is it possible that we just aren't good at studying shit like this? It's all the liberal media. That's all it is. (laughs) It could be the liberal media. I could not resist an Alex Jones impression. I mean, God damn it, they have the cure with them, along with the cure for cancer. There's a reason why the last thing we ever cured was just polio. God fucking damn it. Take that, Democrats. To Alex Jones's point. <laughs> like, is it is it a conspiracy? Or is it just that we just, like, don't know and haven't fucking made it a priority? Is it that there are limits on objective measurements, which is what science relies on, mm-hmm. and we just, like, don't really know how to do that in this area? Like... Also, what if the connection is more nuanced than pressure drop equals more pain? What if it's like a combination of many things that come together to equal that and we just haven't thought to study things properly? I know the cold also increases my joint pain. Like Mm -hmm. I can take the bus and walk like a decent distance in the summer to like get to and from stops and everything. But in the winter, it's like much more truncated and I have to plan much more carefully. Yeah, well, I mean, again, uh, just the basic uh, physics of matter, just like, you know, it's contracting. I mean, I feel a different difference in pain when it's colder out. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's been pretty cold today. So like I've been like stretching my hands mm-hmm. while I'm here because I can just feel everything tight and cold and it hurts. Yeah. I've been cracking my neck more than usual today too. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think anecdotally, sure, it definitely affects yeah. it. Um, one article from Medicine Net admits that the complexity of weather, as well as the complexity of chronic pain, could be partially to blame for the lack of scientific evidence. Weather consists of a lot of factors, as does chronic pain. There's just so much in both of those things that we don't fully understand or know how to objectively enumerate in a measurable way. Um, I think it's also worth noting, again, that many doctors do believe their patients' subjective reports of pain uh, with weather changes, and a lot of them are just waiting for the science to catch up and be able to adequately measure. I know there are good doctors. I have a good doctor. (laughs) I just think our medical knowledge is so much more limited than we tend to believe and tend to be sold. Yeah, I think you're right there. I think uh, we have a big tendency to kind of like pat ourselves in the back that we're in like this big enlightened age and we've come so far and we're so much smarter than we were back then. But and yeah, we know more than we used to, for it, sure. It, it's it's true. I mean, I also, as a human being, I mean, I didn't know how to speak when I was first born. Then I learned the fucking alphabet and now I know a few words in Spanish. I mean, it just... 
<laughs> I've learned things because I grew up. Um, so I do think that we overly congratulate ourselves, but uh, the podcast, uh, this podcast will kill you. Uh, they actually talk about it, and these are two girls that um, I believe they study infectious diseases um, and or microbiology. They're very, very smart women. Uh, but one of the things that they talk about is even them in school and college, like they were hearing from their professors, there were things that we do today that will probably be seen as barbaric in the future, like a chemotherapy treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yes, we've learned a lot. We're, we're no longer drilling holes in people's heads to let out the demons. And that's what's clearly causing their headaches. We're not bleeding out the bad blood because we got all this extra blood we need to get out. So I think I kind of want to just like wrap up by talking about like the process of researching this because it has like it's been kind of meta and part of the reason I was like I don't know if I want to talk about this it makes me feel vulnerable because it's my own experience but it's also like confronting within myself such a strong desire to believe in a connection yeah uh, I believe in science but I also believe we're limited by our instruments as well as our biases uh, I know that anecdotes are not seen as true scientific data and I believe in the scientific method so is my persistent belief in barometric pressure affecting pain an attempt to generate hope for myself after all, fibromyalgia is one of those lifelong conditions that doctors are always telling people to exercise in order to improve. <laughs> and wouldn't it be convenient if I just, like, you know, the answer was, move somewhere warm. Yeah. Um, also, that's where my family is. Yeah. So, bada bing, bada boom. Um, I have a note here that even as I'm researching this, I'm fighting through pain in my finger joints and neck. And I'm aware that since distraction is one of my coping tools for pain, throwing myself into the research about this that forces me to engage with my pain is not necessarily therapeutic on a surface level, but I think in another sense it is because it's forced me to both acknowledge my pain and reflect on the chronic pain problem that is not, in my opinion, being adequately addressed by medical research or medical treatment. And I think that's something that probably a lot of people resonate with. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think you're right. It's probably like a little bit column A, column B, how much of it is just filling in the gaps with this data, but also how much of it is there are areas that we still just haven't tapped into to research to address this properly and get the answers that we're actually looking for. Yeah. Um, and like going back to like our uh, human perception episode, I love that phrase that your brother gave us, uh, narrow gaps. Yes. And how we're constantly filling in that with assumed data because so much more of is like how much our brain is actually putting out into the universe rather than what we're intaking. I showed you last week because I'm a huge fucking nerd that I'm learning close-up magic. Yes. <laughs> I showed you a card trick and then I showed you that I learned how to do the uh, David Blaine hovering trick. Mm-hmm which was insanely simple. I'm not going to tell people on this podcast how to do it. You can just go to like any magic site and they'll show you how to do it. But the way you do the trick, you're just filling in a gap in assumed information. So it looks like I'm hovering, but I'm really doing something that's very simple. So um, that's about all I have. I hope this episode hasn't been too painful for our listeners. <laughs> Let us know what you think, uh, what your experiences are with chronic pain and barometric pressure on our social media. Uh, we're, crackpot, we're at Crackpot Hour on Twitter. We're at Crackpot Cocktail Hour on Instagram and Pinterest. We've got a Facebook page. Our Gmail is crackpotcocktailhour at gmail.com. And we've got a website at the same, crackpotcocktailhour.com. So find us there. Give us your thoughts and your anecdotal experiences as well. Yeah. And also remember that if you like what you hear, uh, this is actually going to be our ninth episode. Can you believe this is our last episode in single digits? Ooh, I can't believe we're about to hit double digits. Gotta graduate. Um, if you like what you hear... 
please, please, please rate and review us. Uh, leave a comment if you want to. Uh, the more five-star reviews we get, the easier it is for us to get content to you that actually keeps us relevant in the eyes of the podcast world. So uh, let us know what you think. And it all it does is help us. Yeah. We, we can't, we don't know what we don't know. That's true. So help fill in our uh, narrow gaps in knowledge and information about this kind of thing. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, until next time, crackpots. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>